Do you want to make a podcast? Spotify's got a platform that lets you make one super easily. It's called Spotify for Podcasters. It lets you record and edit podcasts right from your phone or computer. So no matter what your setup is like, you can start creating today. Then you can distribute your podcast to Spotify and everywhere else podcasts are heard. Video podcasts are also available on Spotify. You know I love that, and I promise you the other platforms don't offer that. With Spotify for Podcasters, you can also earn money in a variety of ways, including ads and podcast subscriptions. And best of all, it's totally free with no catch. I've been using Spotify for Podcasters from the very start. I highly recommend you give it a try. Just don't post on Monday. Download the Spotify for Podcasters app or go to www.spotify.com slash podcasters to get started. Welcome, everyone, to Monday Match Analysis. I'm Gil Gross. I'd be lying if I told you that every show was the same, that I that I spent just as much time pouring over the footage of every match, and every Monday I was I was here in the same exact mood. I'd be I'd be lying. No, the Monday after majors are special. And they are my favorite shows by far. Congratulations to Rafael Nadal. He's won his 19th major title at the U.S. Open in 2019. He beat Daniil Medvedev in the final, and it was a final that delivered. Not only did Nadal deliver, his opponent delivered. Daniil Medvedev gave us an absolute spectacle, as he has throughout the entirety of the last two weeks. If you love tactics, if you love mid-match adjustments, if you love physicality, if you love tennis... You loved that match on Sunday. That was something to watch. And uh, I think it's, it's going to bring the best. I, I hope I can do it justice is all I have to say. But um, I'm, I'm really excited for this show. Comment response at the end. But first, uh, I want to do my due diligence and just really break down this final. Um, and these are some of the topics that I'm going to hit on. I'll go through the match, but I just want to preview all of the topics that I'm going to hit on within this match. I'm going to start talking about Nadal's nerves and Nadal's forehand and and what happens with Nadal's forehand, the difference between when he's confident and when he's nervous. Then I'm going to go into the variety and what I believe Nadal's game plan was when he went into this match. Then I'm going to talk about the serve-return battle that took place between Medvedev and Nadal, how it changed or how didn't it change throughout the match. Then I'm going to talk about the adjustments that Daniil Medvedev made. He was down two sets to love, and he rattled off the thirds, a third set victory and a fourth set victory and had break points in the beginning of the fifth. What changed for Daniil Medvedev? What did he do differently? We'll also talk a bit about the conditions and how that affected the match particularly with net play. And then lastly, I'll talk about the fifth set and what did the trick in the end for Rafa Nadal. Those are all the tactical topics in store for us as I go through the next five, through five sets of tennis between the Spaniard and the Russian. But first, a couple of big picture thoughts on, on what this match means. Obviously, uh, this is a huge title for Nadal. The slam race is great for tennis. And as tiresome 
and toxic as the GOAT debate is. I'm not a fan of the GOAT debate. The slam race is good for tennis. It's very exciting. Nadal moves to 19. Federer sits at 20. Djokovic is at 16. What's astonishing about Nadal and and this particular accomplishment is the same thing that was astonishing about how he won it in 2017. In fact, the last three U.S. Opens have really been decided by health. Djokovic won last year when Nadal couldn't stay healthy and Federer couldn't stay healthy. The year before, Nadal won it, 2017. Djokovic not healthy, and I don't really recall. Federer might have been fine when he lost against Del Potro, but I don't exactly recall that. Um, my uh, Sometimes I fail as a tennis historian, I'll be honest, and I don't remember these old matches. But once again, out of the big three, it is Rafa Nadal who's able to stay healthy and able to play 100%, which enables his greatness to shine. Federer's healthy, Djokovic is healthy, Nadal's healthy. They're great, all three of them. When they're healthy, their greatness can come through. When they're injured, it can't. It simply can't. But Rafa Nadal is a little bit more special. It's a little bit more special when he stays healthy because he proved the data was wrong. Because if you took a 25-year-old Nadal and you surveyed tennis analysts and you asked them, and me too, I'm guilty of this as well, Is Nadal going to be able to play until his mid-30s? They'd all say absolutely not. No chance. He plays too physical. He practices too hard. He doesn't play the right brand of tennis. That's what they would have said. It's probably what I would have said. Nadal has proven everyone wrong. And I don't think that that anyone who said that, you know, I think there was good reason to say it. But the way Nadal has adapted, the way he's persevered through multiple injuries, because he's had the worst injury luck out of the three. Nadal's had the worst injury luck. It's how he's come back. And guess what? Rehab stinks. Getting injured stinks. It's awful. It takes a special athlete to come back as many times as Nadal does. And it takes a special athlete and a special work ethic to maintain the good health that Nadal has, given his circumstance. Now for Daniil Medvedev. He's now the highest achiever out of any next-gen player in Grand Slams. Biggest title, still Sasha Zverev uh, with the World Tour Final. But the best performance in a major among the next generation, and Medvedev is a little bit older, 23, Uh it's Daniil Medvedev. And he his performances is what I'll remember most, what I'll remember best about this summer. Making the final in Montreal, winning Cincinnati, making the final in New York. And not just the results. I couldn't just look at, you know, flash score tennis or or however you see your tennis scores and no, 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 no. You had to watch it. Because Medvedev seemed to get better and better and better. And match after match after match, even though he was in great form, you thought, oh, he's going to lose this one. Nope. Oh, well, he's injured now, so he's not going to win. He's down 
a set and a break to Djokovic. He's not right. And he just continues to find new innovations within his own game. I've never seen anything like it. The problem solving, the, the, the weaponry seemingly out of nowhere, the adaptation over the course of two months, I've never seen anything like it. So uh, it's fitting that, you know, after getting smoked against Nadal in Montreal, 6-3-6 love, Medvedev did hear what he's done best all summer, which is figure things out, find a way. And he did a lot better. Just not enough uh, because Nadal was just that great. Now let's get into this. Now let's get into this match. But first, espresso. I drink coffee for the taste. I don't drink it for the caffeine. But today, I'm close to a record. I need the caffeine today. All right. Let's get into this. You saw the thumbnail at the top. I love that thumbnail. I think it's one of the best of all time. I do. Um, so in the first set, it was the worst set of tennis um, um, out of the five sets. The first set was the lowest level. You had two things happening. You had Rafa Nadal come out nervous. Kind of reminded me a bit of Australia in that way. Uh, he was the, the first break of the match went to Daniil Medvedev, and on break point, Rafa Nadal almost swung and missed on a routine forehand. So Nadal was nervous. Medvedev, well, let's get to Medvedev in a second. The way you can tell if Nadal is nervous, it mainly comes out in his forehand. Doesn't really come out as much in his backhand. Doesn't come out that much in his serve. The forehand is the shot that tells you how nervous Rafa Nadal is. And it's a matter of if he's hitting out or if he's hitting up. Nadal's known for his topspin, the heavy RPM on the topspin forehand. But when Nadal's nervous, he's brushing up on the ball too much, and he's unable to flatten it out. It's landing short. Some of Nadal's worst years, and again, this is, uh, you know, hopefully I get this right in terms of the year, but I'm pretty sure it was 2016 that I'm thinking of. Nadal had... One of the, the highest RPM forehands of his entire career in 2016. One of the worst years of his career. Wasn't any good. Nadal needs to hit out on his forehand. He needs to go after his forehand sometimes. Uncle Tony talked about after the first set and he said, I feel like Nadal was too tactical. He was thinking out there. He wasn't relying enough on instinct. And sometimes he just needs to try to hit the cover off the ball. And he wasn't doing that. Because he was too nervous to really loosen his shoulders and go after his forehand, which is his biggest weapon off the ground. But Daniil Medvedev couldn't take advantage. Because, and even worse, Medvedev actually let Nadal really get comfortable in the match at the end of the first set with how Medvedev was playing. Daniil was playing passive, and I don't think it was because he was nervous. I think it was because he hadn't figured out yet how he needed to play Nadal. He just didn't understand how to play Nadal yet. Uh, I thought that Medvedev was, was pretty calm. I just felt like tactically 
He had no clue what to do. He was hanging back far behind the baseline, just trying to get a feel, just trying to trade. But his court position was really hurting him because of Nadal's nervousness. Nadal was hitting way high up over the net with tons of margin, heavy topspin, almost moonball-like. But Medvedev was so far back that he wasn't able to hit. You know, the ball was jumping up high on him. He wasn't taking it on the rise. And he was getting eating eat, he was getting eaten up by these moonball-like shots from Nadal. Now Nadal mixed it up, especially on the backhand. He mixed in the slice. He continued to do that. And I'm gonna talk about that. But for the most part, Medvedev was just hanging back, giving Nadal rhythm and almost giving Nadal drilling from the back. Almost like he was playing cooperatively with Rafa Nadal. He just wasn't going after his shots. If I were Daniil Med if I were if Daniil Medvedev could go back, he, need, he would need to play like he did later in the match. Finish points. Go after the ball. Go to the net. Serve and volley. Don't let Nadal get rhythm. Don't let him hit seven, you know, seven ground strokes in a row with no pressure. Because you're, he let Nadal get a feel for his ground strokes by just hanging back. And trying to play his grinding game. And doing most of the running. Because Nadal was just playing with angle. Again, he, he, wasn't, he wasn't really going after his forehand. But what he can do with his forehand, even when he's not going after it, is he can hit it with angle. So, you know, Medvedev is way back behind the baseline doing all of the running. And Nadal is, is, is not hitting out on his forehand and Medvedev isn't making him pay. So Nadal breaks back. The first set was ultimately decided by who would be the first to understand how they needed to win the match. Nadal was the first to go after his forehand and come to the net. Now, Nadal gained confidence on his forehand, I think, with the inside-out. Because the inside-out forehand is the one forehand that Nadal often hits with less topspin and often ditches the buggy whip follow-through over the same shoulder and follows through over the opposite shoulder. Medvedev's favorite defense is the squash defense. So Nadal's best play off the ground, and he used it at the end of the first set, and he used it all match, was he went inside out and came to the net, ready for, for the squash defense from Medvedev, because uh, a squash defense on the forehand has backspin. It floats. That's time to close in on the net. So here's 5-6, and this is the shot I'm talking about. Nadal goes heavy inside out. Here's the squash defense, and Nadal doesn't even need to really close the net. He didn't hit an approach shot. He just hit an average ground stroke, but he still knows that he can make it to the net and use his speed because of the squash defense. Now look where Nadal hits this, head height. If Nadal stayed back, that's excellent defense for Medvedev. And he's probably back to neutral. Only because Nadal went to the net does Nadal... Oops. Oh, he, he puts away that volley. Only because Nadal goes to the net and he puts away that volley down the line. That's the only reason he ended the point. So Nadal was the first to figure out that... You know, he was the first to loosen up and start playing correctly. 
go after his forehand and go to the net. Especially, um, you know, he, he approached both sides quite well, though. He approached Medvedev's backhand as well, too. He was taking advantage of the court position for Medvedev. Um, Medvedev. I'm trying to read this. Am, am, I, am I reading this correctly? I don't know. My notes are confusing me a bit. Um, so yeah, the big, the big revelation in the first set, Medvedev gave Nadal rhythm, let Nadal, uh, get over his nervousness by basically giving him baseline drills. And eventually Nadal finally in that five, six game played his most aggressive game of the entire set. So Moya, Moya afterwards was like, he, you know, Rafa was playing too tactically. Which to me means he was focused too much on his variety and forgot that sometimes you need to ditch variety to, to just focus on doing damage. To focus on, you know, hitting 90 mile per hour ground strokes. But let's talk about Nadal's variety. In tennis, there's a strike zone. Everyone has a strike zone. Everyone wants to hit the ball in a certain place. It's between hip and shoulder. Not too close to the body, not too far away from the body. If it's too high, no good. If it's too low, no good. Why does a body serve work? Not enough space between the ball and the body. Why does angle work? Too much space between the ball and the body. Everyone has a strike zone. The point of variety is to is to get the ball out of, of your opponent's strike zone. It is to break your opponent's contact point. Variety accomplishes this because with variety, you mix up height, you mix up width, you mix up pace. And all of a sudden, it's very hard for someone to get in the right position time after time after time. Look in the second set. This was at 2-3-15-30. And I charted Nadal's final nine shots of the rally. He hit a high cross-court forehand, a backhand slice down the line, a drive cross-court forehand, a backhand slice deep cross-court, a backhand drive cross-court, a short angle backhand slice cross-court, a high backhand down the line, a drive forehand down the line, and a backhand approach down the line. Medvedev, by the end of that point, could get nothing on the pass, wasn't even close. Because in the final nine shots of the rally, Nadal never hit the same shot twice. He used impeccable variety for the entire match, and it's going to come up big. I'll come back to this. But his variety, especially on his backhand, with the way he, he uses the slice, Deep cross-court, short cross-court, and down the line. And when he hits over his backhand, he doesn't always hit it straight. Sometimes he hits it high and loopy. Sometimes he drives it. The variety on his backhand is impeccable. And it really bothered Medvedev. And I think it mostly bothered Medvedev's backhand. It's an incredible shot. But Medvedev made so many more backhand errors than we're used to in the first and second sets. Why? 
couldn't get it in a strike zone. Now, Medvedev was playing really far back, and I think Nadal's ball was kicking above the shoulders. But then Nadal would slice it short, and Medvedev would have to play it below the knees. He would have to use his footwork to get inside the court. Never did Nadal let Medvedev get comfortable and hit the ball in a strike zone on his backhand. That backhand is, is a dangerous, dangerous thing. If you give Medvedev rhythm and you let him hit it in his strike zone and his contact point, you're in trouble. So I think what Nadal was focusing on in the first set, even when he was nervous, was I think he was focusing on not letting Medvedev keep the ball within his contact point. Um, now, eventually, he combined that with just flat-out, you know, power tennis. He needs to have that combination. You can't just focus on, you know, trying to move the ball around. At some point, you know, you, you need to go after it. So that's kind of a fine line. And going after it is part of variety. But Nadal, uh, until he won the first set, until that game at 5-6, Nadal wasn't going after it enough. Finally goes after it enough. Combine that with the variety and the constant net play, the net rushing, taking advantage of Medvedev's court position, uh, Rafa was rolling. The other thing is the serve return battle. This I noticed pretty early on. Uh, Nadal, or Medvedev, I'll start with Medvedev. Medvedev was not getting much out of his serve. Look at the ace rate. Lowest of the tournament. 7.7%. By the way, Cincinnati, a faster court, Medvedev's ace rates were in the mid-teens consistently. At the U.S. Open, a little lower. But still, look at the first, look at the first four rounds. 13, 13, 21, 13. Eight, eight and a half, eight and a, eight and a half. But then against Nadal, 7.7. This was, you know, N Nadal with his deep uh, return position was getting so many returns in play. It was like a clay court returning performance from Nadal. Medvedev wasn't getting free points. It was night. It was cool. The conditions were slow. In the second set, Medvedev just didn't get much out of his serve. He found a solution. I'll get to it in a bit. What about on Nadal's serve? Again, Medvedev's court position. Kind of killing him. Kind of killing him. Especially on the ad side, uh, he did not take away Nadal's slice serve out wide. And it hurt him repeatedly. Now, it hurt him oftentimes on the serve and volley. Nadal would slice serve out wide and then rush the net on the serve volley. And he won a lot of points this way. But even when he hung back, especially when he got confident. Nadal became very good at attacking the first ball um, after Medvedev was off the court. So, you know, I mean, this is, this is a simple, this is, this is a simple attack using width and also time because Nadal takes time away and he cuts off the angle. Medvedev actually gets a really good angle on this return, but because Nadal is inside the baseline, he doesn't get dragged off the court. If Nadal stayed along the baseline and you look at where, where Medvedev's contact point was, which I circled in red, if you draw a straight line between where the ball is right now and Medvedev's contact point, now if you extrapolate, imagine Nadal was two feet behind the baseline. 
he'd be outside the doubles alley. But because he understands that he needs to cut off this angle, and he can take it down the line, like he does here, uh, it, it works wonders for Nadal. And then even on the deuce side, Nadal served the slider to Medvedev's backhand and was, was excellent at attacking the first ball off the serve uh, and coming to the net. Played good, good first strike tennis, actually. But uh, Medvedev began to get a better feel for things, especially uh, the depth uh, on his backhand return, which, which started, to get, started to get really good. But in the beginning, wasn't. Mostly the issue was on the ad side when Medvedev was pulled off the court. Just reading through my notes to make sure um, I'm not missing anything. The second set was Nadal's best set. The variety, hitting big forehands, confident forehands. Uh, so the variety was still there. The forehands were big. The serving was 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 good, and and you know especially the tactic I just showed you, and the returning was great. Nadal rolled in that second set. Let's go to the third set. More of the same to start. And Nadal goes up a break. At 3-2, Nadal serving. He plays a really loose game. And Medvedev didn't do much, but Nadal makes an unforced error. He double faults. He misses an easy volley, and he makes another unforced error. So chronologically, that's what happened with, obviously, points in between. But he kind of hands Medvedev a break, and this changes the match. Medvedev begins to use Nadal's solution against him. Medvedev begins frequently serve and volleying. The conditions were too slow. He couldn't get free points off his serve. Nadal was at the back fence. Medvedev serve and volleys. Has great success with it. Gives him the confidence to come to net more in the baseline game. And Medvedev starts net rushing, net rushing, net rushing. Nadal was already doing it. So Nadal figured it out first. Nadal figured out how, how he needed to play first. Medvedev followed. By the end of the match, both knew they had to come to the net to be successful in this one. A lot of it's the slow conditions. A lot of it is their speed. And then the other part of it is their court position. Harder to hit a winner... Harder to force an error, but easier to close the net. Your angles are accentuated, and the ball has more time in the air, travels longer, so it's easier to close the net further in, and you have more time to react to the passing shot. So bad court position, or, or excuse me, not bad court position, um, backwards court position, harder to attack from the baseline, easier to attack from the net. Slow conditions at night, Arthur Ashe, they needed to come to net. It was a necessity. It just took Medvedev a little bit longer to figure that out. But he got there. Nadal has an overhead at 4-5. Medvedev serving. Misses it. Super reliable overhead Rafa has, uh, but he missed it. So that's worth noting. It's worth noting that it's break point... Uh, 
or am I am I am I messing this up? Maybe I'm because it can't be four five. Score wasn't four five. It, it might have been four all, and Nadal would have served for the match in the third set. Misses an overhead on break point at the end of the third set. That much I know. Um, so that's just worth mentioning. Five six Nadal serving. And uh, this is where, you know, Medvedev is beginning to feel it more and more. This is a game where Medvedev redlines, and there's absolutely nothing Nadal can do. He makes finally he finally makes the adjustment with his court position. He starts hitting on the rise, and he starts hitting down the line. The big problem throughout this match was Nadal wasn't doing any moving. It was Medvedev doing all of the moving, or most of it at least. It was Nadal pushing Medvedev around the court. But when Medvedev started taking the ball early and taking the ball down the line, they started doing equal parts moving. It's not that Medvedev started bullying Nadal around. Some points yes, some points no. That's how an even tennis match should be. That's how a competitive match has to be. Both players need to be moving each other, not just one player moving the other. And Medvedev loves to run. He loves to move. But he couldn't sustain against Nadal. And against Nadal's net rushing, against Nadal's big forehand, he, he can't sustain defensive grinding tennis. He needs to take charge. Now, what happened to his backhand, which kept jumping out of his strike zone in the first set and, large, and largely the second set? Takes it on the rise. Now he can control the strike zone better, control his contact point better. Djokovic does it. Federer started doing it in 2017. It's not optional against Nadal. To take the ball on the rise. It's necessary. Or I should say mandatory. It's mandatory. If you want to play Nadal well. To take his forehand cross court on the rise. Unless you're Stan Wawrinka. Or you're Dominic Team, And you can hit your backhand 100 miles per hour. Unless you're one of them. It's mandatory. And Medvedev. In the first couple sets. Too far back hitting backhands. Too much time for Nadal. Easy for Rafa to dictate. But, but Medvedev starts stepping in and going line. Going after his forehand, going after his backhand, rushing the net. Serve and volleying. That's the kind of concoction. Can he still defend? Can he still grind? Yes. But he mixes in unpredictable offense. He puts the whole, he, you know, he puts it together. The fourth set, obviously Medvedev wins the, the, the third 7-5. He redlines at this game 5-6, um, turning defense into offense as well within the point. Fourth set, Medvedev continues to take the ball early, go to net. Nadal is doing just as much running as Medvedev. And here I think youth and fitness come into play. Medvedev is dictating on serve now. On return, he's still a little passive, still scrambling. Never adjusts his court position on return. Adjust he Medvedev adjusted his court position um, in in ba in baseline rallies. Never adjusted his court position on serve. Pretty much the whole match. Mixed in a uh, mixed in kind of standing up on the baseline, but never did it consistently. So this sets kind of back and forth. I feel like you know the server has the upper hand throughout this set. And I think that both players are getting a little tired. Nadal 
for the first time since the first set, he gets nervous again. It's Deuce. He's serving at 4-5, and he misses um, He misses kind of a, a, an easy gimme forehand. He misses it badly. What happens next is classic Daniil Medvedev. Because throughout the summer, he's been pulling off shots that I just haven't expected him to pull off. And here it is. Set point. Again, he's giving up this wide serve. He's allowing himself to be pulled off the court outside the doubles alley. 15 feet behind the baseline. And Nadal goes to the play that has been working the whole match. And I cannot emphasize enough that this play has won Nadal the point almost every single time. But set point. Medvedev puts it right in the corner. Down the line. Winner. Fourth set. Medvedev. And we go the distance. Unbelievable. In the fifth set, uh, Medvedev has double break point at love one. So Nadal has lost two sets in a row, and now he's down double break point to go down an early break in the fifth. This is where Nadal's greatness shows more than at any other point in the match is right at this moment. Love one. Double break point against. Because for the first time, he feels he's actually behind. So what is the instinct deep down, deep down in your heart as a tennis player when that kind of desperate, oh my God, I'm in trouble. When you feel that, oh my God, I'm in trouble, what happens as a player? Do you get discouraged? Do you get anxious? Or do you turn into an absolute animal? Do you turn into a beast when you feel that insecurity? After leading in a match for four hours, four hours, you're, you're winning the whole time. All of a sudden, you're losing. Nadal was behind at that point. What's his reaction? His reaction was perfect. He served volleys. It's a play that worked. Hits a, uh, a drop volley winner at 1540. Then he hits a wide serve on the ad side, um, goes with his forehand down the line, gets Medvedev on the defense, has to hit a couple extra shots, paints the line twice, and wins the point. Medvedev's not done. He gets another break point. And what does Nadal do? The play that also worked for him so well. The shot that I thought brought him out of his first set cold spell. Serve. Inside out forehand. Go to the net off the squash defense. Medvedev didn't make the ball so Nadal didn't have to finish at the net. But a massive inside out forehand from Nadal to fend off that other break point in the fifth set. Nadal wins the game. Uh, Medvedev did help because Medvedev missed, uh, missed a volley that he should have made at deuce. Now, at this point in the match, I just want to say overall, this match to me was going to get decided by who is better in the midcourt 
at the net and with their passing shots. Because from the baseline, they're dead even. They can't crack each other. They're both playing so well. They are winning points defensively, scrambling. They're winning points offensively, taking it early, hitting their forehands hard down the line. In Medvedev's case, hitting his backhand hard down the line. Nadal is still confounding Medvedev with his variety off of his backhand. There's simply nothing separating these two from the back. But because of the conditions, both had to go to the net. So who was going to make the big passing shot? Who was going to hit the better approach shots? Who was going to hit the better volleys? That's what the match came down to. At 2-all, Medvedev leads 40-love. Nadal is just about giving up. I, I thought, in this game at least, um, and I, I feel like Nadal, um, his energy reserves in the fourth set were low, and I feel like Medvedev, at this point, he can go a little longer than Nadal, cardio-wise, at 23 years old. Now, if he's doing more running, obviously Nadal can wear him down. But if they were doing equal running, and that's what they started to do, equal running, I think Medvedev liked his chances. So Nadal, I think, is conserving some energy. And Medvedev has a forehand at 40 love that I don't think Nadal is going to chase down if Medvedev hits it decent. But Medvedev kind of slaps at it. He wouldn't have hit the shot like that if it wasn't 40 love. But he gets a little lackadaisical, misses it, 40-15. Then Nadal goes to his backhand slice. He forces deuce. Nadal forces two errors off of his backhand slice down the line, which just tails away from Medvedev. And Medvedev has to lunge all the way down low to go and get it. And it's so far away from his body. And it, it's not a winner, but it might as well be. Because the, the, sli the hard slice down the line from Nadal, Medvedev forces Medvedev to do so much work um, to try to defend his contact point. And ultimately, he can't defend his contact point. So he missed two balls off of Nadal's backhand slice. And Nadal, all throughout the match, was able to create a lot of errors off of his backhand slice out of Medvedev. Here is the break point, the straw that breaks the, the camel's back, if you will. Keep in mind in this game, the backhand slice has already played a factor. Nadal ranges to his right and hits kind of a, a, a neutral, it's, it's somewhat of a defensive backhand slice, but it's going to turn into offense because it's so short and it's so low. Over the lowest part of the net, he absolutely knifes it. And Medvedev has to switch to continental grip and charge in. And Medvedev pops it up. He, he pops it up and actually has to retreat and move backwards. He's a sitting duck. An easy backhand winner for Nadal. And there's the break in the fifth set. That's what put Nadal ahead in the match. At the end, his variety was what came through for him. He probably has, you know, superior net play. To Medvedev, maybe made a few less mistakes at the net, but maybe not because he missed some volleys. He really did. At the end of the day, he just had more variety that was able to bother Medvedev and draw errors. It came back down to errors. The drama wasn't over in the fifth set. They went back and forth a little bit more. Nadal served for it 
at 5-2 and, in my opinion, played a tired game. And Medvedev was still going strong and still grinding. And I just feel like Nadal's legs that game were just, they, they, they weren't feeling it. And I think, you know, at 5-2, at he just didn't have that adrenaline rush to push through it, to push through that. Uh, Medvedev played a really good game. He breaks Nadal. Now, Nadal gets that, that surge back, gets that second wind, and nearly breaks Medvedev for a 6-3 fifth set. Medvedev does very well to hold, forces Nadal to serve it out, and actually gets down love 15. Nadal scrambles defensively and comes up with a pass at love 15 down the line that Medvedev could have volleyed. Who knows what would have happened, but Medvedev let it go and it was in. Again, what's going to decide this match? Approach shots, passing shots, net play. At, Medvedev could have been up love 30 if he executed there. Um, and then on the next point, Medvedev hits a short forehand trade. Oh, on breakpoint, rather. Medvedev with breakpoint to break back. He's got a chance to make it 5-all in the 5th. And he just hits a short forehand trade. Maybe the first time that Medvedev really had a very tight moment. But uh, he, he retreated at times in the fifth set, kind of back to the, the first two set style of just kind of waiting and sitting back a little bit too much. A little bit in the fifth set, sometimes. I think on that break point, he, he did that a little bit. And Nadal had the confidence at this point to hit a massive forehand and save the break point. Um, eventually, Nadal closes out the match. There you have it. Let's do um, 10 minutes of comment response. As I've, uh, in 40 minutes, finished this uh, recap of the match. Top comment is from Sorav. Sarav Gosh. He says, if Rafa wins the Australian Open next, will he be officially the GOAT overfed? Uh, I, I kind of hate that this is the top comment. Not going to lie, kind of hate it. But um, I will, of course, answer it because people want to know. It's why it's the top comment. The answer is no. I mean, and that's not, that's just to say that why would it be official? They're all still playing. They're not done yet. There's things to be decided here. So, so no. Um, there's, there's not going to be the, in no, in no, uh, future, do we foresee anyone officially being the goat? That's not happening anytime soon. Uh, Santi says, Hey Gil, looking into the future, do you think that it is Djokovic who is more dependent on his physical condition instead of Nadal? Like we always thought, I feel like Novak's game hasn't evolved as much as Rafa's. And that might be one of the reasons why Nadal is so consistent and Djokovic has more ups and downs through the season. I think Rafa will definitely surpass Federer's 20. Not sure about Djokovic. This is a, an excellent uh, comment. Um, now, the nature of Djokovic's injuries aren't very concerning to me because they're arm injuries, which tend to nag, but uh, normally aren't career-threatening as much as knee injuries, hip injuries, ankle injuries, you know, that kind of stuff. But I think with Djokovic, it's, it's more dependent on 
his motivation, less so his health. Where Nadal, that's not ever, ever a problem. Um, Nadal is is a different person, tennis personality that way, where where he's always a hundred percent. You know, there's never there's never any emphasis on the slams for Nadal. Whenever on the practice court, the guy plays like it's a Grand Slam final. That's the truth. Nadal doesn't know any other way of playing. So I think for Nadal, it's still more physical. For Djokovic, I still think it's more mental. Uh, I think that Djokovic, if I'm going to look into a crystal ball, I think he's fine physically uh, into his mid-30s with the flexibility he has, with the strength that he has in his ankles. I mean, I he's never he's never really had an injury that I feel like has been overly concerning. You know, the, the, the elbow thing, it was resolved, and I think there was other stuff going on. Not saying he didn't have an elbow injury. Of course he did. Uh, but I, I don't see that as career-threatening. Whereas Nadal's knees were certainly career-threatening. Sumal Lenin says, Do you think Rafa will break Roger's slam record if he's healthy? And also, do you think if Medvedev stays, he'll be the first next-gen player to win a slam? I don't know stays what, but I, I'll answer anyway. Uh, yeah, if I'm if I'm gonna predict, Federer never had. See, the the thing is, Wimbledon to Federer has not been what the French has been to Nadal, and that's that's why if if you're predicting, will Rafa break Roger's Slam record at this juncture when they're one away, you, you have to think, you have to predict yes. But Roger could easily win the Australian Open in four months' time, and the conversation completely shifts. That's just the nature of this. Easily that could happen. Will Medvedev be the first next-gen player to win a slam? His rate of improvement is crazy and so scary. And I also will say this. He's the fittest guy on tour right now. And God is that important. I know it's, it's more, you know, fans notice that a little bit less. But championships are won in the gym. They are. They are. They're won on the court and they're won with forehands and backhands and serves. But at the end of the day, there are players with ground strokes just as good as Daniil Medvedev's who will never be as good as Daniil Medvedev because they don't have his fitness. And that's true for every me each and every mem member of the big three. You know, Federer... I mean, yeah, it's, tr it's true for everyone. I mean, you got to combine tennis skills, right? But just keep in mind, the most fit players in the world were really the big four if you throw in Murray. No one was more fit than them. So I love that about Medvedev. I love that he's as fit as anyone, and I, I love the rate of improvement that he's shown with his game. And he's a thinker out there. Yeah, uh, right now... I feel like he, you know, Australia should suit him better than the U.S. Open. I like a speedy court for Daniil. Um, so I feel like Australia is a, is a great chance. Speedy, low bouncing. That'll help Medvedev. Uh, so I think he'll, he'll, have a, he'll have a chance in Melbourne. Another comment from Santi. Should I read it or should I get someone else in? Do you think Medvedev can keep this amazing streak and consolidate himself in the fourth position? Well, indoor hardcore season, season should suit him well. 
but physically are we going to get a down a little bit of a he needs to take a rest i mean this was this was an insane amount of tennis so if physically he holds up yes uh axiomatic films i know that this is quite a bit of of time but if everyone was 100% healthy and the ATP Tour Finals were tomorrow. Do you think Medvedev would have the best chance of winning? It's a low-bouncing indoor hard court that suits his game perfectly. So what are your thoughts? Uh, Djokovic, I'd be concerned. Yeah, I'd have to see if he's fully motivated. Nadal, it's his least favorite court of any big tournament. Federer isn't healthy right now. So the answer is probably yes. I would love Medvedev's chances if the ATP World Tour, if if they took two weeks off to give Medvedev's body a rest, because holy, I mean, he really needs rest. I can't emphasize that enough. Oh my God, this is a crazy name. I can't. Uh, is it Greek? Panagiotopoulos. It seems Greek. Amazing match. Maybe better than Wimbledon's final. What do you think of Rafa stopping Daniil's serve multiple times? Yeah, what a returning performance. The, this was a, you know, we talk a lot. I, commentators love to say, ooh, we adjusted. He stepped into the court. And I I think Medvedev probably should have returned from closer in. But Nadal's performance here is an example of the other way around. And people don't like to give credit when it, you know, no one says, oh, Nadal's returning strategy was so perfect and tremendous because he returned from the back fence. But everyone loves to give credit when players move up. What about when players move back? Sometimes it's great. And in this match, it was great. Against Chilich, it wasn't. So Nadal moved up. One more. Or it depends how long it is. Sap save. The, 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 the maple leaf. Uh, was one of the reasons Rafa got to Medvedev in the fifth due to him constantly getting his serve tempo interrupted by Rafa. I know as a player, it's annoying as hell whenever someone stops you in the middle of the serve, so I assume Medvedev would think the same. I'm, I'm actually surprised that, that there wasn't a comment like this higher up because Twitter was, some of Twitter was dwelling on this a bit. So uh, I'll address this and then I'll sign off. This was the chair umpire's fault, in my opinion. Um, I, I'm very consistent on this. I don't, I don't like it when players expect a lot or have unrealistic expectations of a crowd. I don't like that. So when Djokovic gets upset after a point, if someone makes a noise in the crowd, I, I don't like that. Same for Nadal. When he says, wait, I need silence before the point. I don't like that either. I'm very consistent. I'm a hundred percent consistent on this. Um, and Federer got upset. They've all been guilty of it. They really have. I don't like that. Um, so the chair umpire, in my opinion, needed to tell Rafa, if Daniil's ready to serve, even if the crowd is still buzzing, you need to let him serve. Unless I say quiet, please. Unless I say thank you. Unless I say, you know, unless I instruct the crowd to settle down. I can delay the point, but you can't. It's not within Rafa's job. But um, Nadal is also very consistent, and it's not cheating. I saw some people like, Rafa's cheating. He wasn't cheating. He just wants silence. And it would have been the chair umpire's job to say, say, look, Rafa, you know, I, I, I know you want silence, um, which, 
you know, Nadal, Nadal always wants that. It's just how he is. But uh, if Daniil's serving and I don't stop it, you, you need to return it. You, you need to play the point. That's my opinion. Um, but f- for all we know, Medvedev could have, could have, uh, I mean, it could have hurt, it could have helped Medvedev. You don't know. You just, you don't know how things would have played out. So perhaps, let me just say uh, as a hypothetical, perhaps Nadal put his hands up and Medvedev hit a serve that would have been returned because there are a couple times where Medvedev served it and Nadal had his, his hand up. Perhaps Nadal would have hit a winner on the return. <laughs> and then on the next point, Medvedev hits an ace. That happened one time. Medvedev hit an ace after Nadal said, hold up, wait. Then Medvedev hit an ace. Maybe he wouldn't have hit an ace if Nadal hadn't held him up. So this didn't, I don't think it helped Nadal in the match. I don't think it affected the match. I do not think it, and Medvedev bounces the ball twice. I mean, I don't think that his rhythm was was disrupted, if I'm being honest. I just thought that uh, the chair umpire was a bit subpar in these situations, and um, and that's all. We've went long, but um, this has been a lot of fun. Um, next Monday, I'll be off because I always take a break after the major. But um, maybe some thoughts videos. I'll see you soon. I appreciate it, everyone. Thank you for a great two weeks. Thank you for a great 2019 Grand Slam season. I uh, love you guys. Appreciate you guys. Hope you enjoyed. I'll see you next time. Our house is a mess. Come on in. I'm Amber Wallen, internet comedian, plant queen, and host of your new favorite podcast, Fly on the Wild. Okay, that's pretty presumptuous to assume that this is going to be their favorite podcast, by the way. Like, come on, Amber. Anyway, that wasp that you just heard interrupt me is my husband. And co-host, Benjamin Wallen, also a comedian, and I host people at our home. I have a great wine collection in my cellar. Well, you it's mean cellar. the mini fridge. It's a mini fridge. It's a mini yeah. fridge. New episodes of Fly on the Wallen drop every Wednesday. Listen in as we discuss relationships, books, and keeping our sweet baby kid alive while we make laughs on the internet. Subscribe to Fly on the Wallen wherever you get your podcast. Yes.